Blog Talk Radio. on the air. The day today is February 9th, 902, 902 in the big city in the metropolitan area. I am your host, Randy Zelia. You can follow me on Twitter at RandyBSP. Instagram, same handle, RandyBSP. Follow me on Facebook, BackSportsPage.com, for all the archives of Off Topic uh, with both me and Steve Spanoff, who when we go back to Thursday nights, will be back live with me, so we'll be able to go back and forth giving uh, the sports opinions that we've uh, we're known to do in the past. Uh, this tonight's show, we're going to have Gary Aid and Bill Ingram from NBARadioShow.com jump on to talk NBA trade deadline with me. A lot of moves that happened this past week. A lot of crazy things going on. In the second half of the show, we're going to have uh, my, my good buddy Ryan Stern from Back Sports Page come on. We're going to discuss the Super Bowl and uh, talk a little Giants offseason NFL draft. And also going to touch on Major League Baseball a little bit, a little hockey. And then we're going to call it a night, Saturday night of uh, Saturday Night Fever tonight, I guess. I'm really going to reference Saturday Night Fever for all you 1990s and on kids. I don't know if you guys know what Saturday Night Fever was all about, but it was good. John Travolta getting that white and black suit going. I mean, that little tux. I was going to try and pull off the white tuxedo sometime, and it just it wouldn't work for me. Um, I don't know how many um, short white Jewish guys do pretty well on a dance floor doing the Saturday Night Fever dance. Um, if anything, we'll sue for the copyrights, but that's okay. I just figured I'd uh, throw that little zing at there about me doing that. Listen, a lot of sponsors for the show tonight. Uh, first first up, shout out and a little prop go out to our good friends over at Level 1 Games, your all-purpose gaming store. If you're a video game, video game guy, card game guy, or board game guy, that's the place you want to go on Route 23 in Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Check them out, level1games.com. Go there now, CM, Tim, Cynthia, and Dave. Come on down there, get your game on over at Level 1 Games. Okay, so I was discussing before about the NBA trade deadline. A lot of moves going on. I think this was the second largest trade deadline uh, with moves that they've had, which is pretty crazy that the NBA is now at a point where you can just move that many guys in that short amount of time. Uh, It's pretty crazy that right now Marcus Saul, who is a fixture in Memphis, is now in a Toronto Raptor uniform. It's, it's pretty crazy that uh, Tobias Harris, who 
was nobody saw that one coming, gets moved to the Philadelphia 76ers. Nobody saw the former number one pick, Marquise Fultz, being moved over to the Orlando Magic. So there's a lot of different things, a lot of moving pieces that are going on right now with the NBA. I'm sticking with the NBA right now because our first two guests are going to be Bill Ingram and Gary A. from the NBA show and nbaradioshow.com. Uh, those are my two good buddies. We talk hoops all the time. And it's just, it's just so weird because it feels like this trade deadline was all about the Eastern Conference. The Western Conference wasn't too affected too much by the moves that were made. If you look at the standings right now in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks are the number one seed in the, in the Eastern Conference. Now, if you, if you would have told me that last year, I would have called you an absolute liar because last year they were a lower seed. Uh, I think they were a seventh seed, and they lost to the Celtics in the first round. Right now you have Milwaukee, Toronto, Indiana, Boston, Philadelphia, and then Brooklyn is seven games back of Philadelphia. Charlotte than Miami. You look at this, how this whole thing has uh, played out now. The Milwaukee Bucks have, in my opinion, the MVP of the league in Giannis. And he's playing at a level that I've never seen before. Winners of their last six with a 41-13 record. They won, I think, 42, 43 games all year last year. So now they're 41-13. The Toronto Raptors are going for it. No guarantee that they're keeping Kawhi Leonard. They decided to stick with Kyle Lowry. They have Kawhi Leonard, and now they have Marcus Gasol, a scoring big man, something that I felt that they've needed for years. Winners of their last three, they're 40 and 16. The, the loss of Victor Oladipo for the Indiana Pacers to me is such a big loss. The fact that they're still number three seed and they've won their last four still baffling to me. They made some minor moves at the deadline. They're at 36 and 19, winners of their last four. Indiana Pacers is something else. To me, still the most disappointing team in the Eastern Conference all season long has been the Boston Celtics. A team that pushed the Cleveland Cavaliers to a Game Seven uh, before, uh, you know, the last game of the Eastern Conference Finals. They bring back All Star uh, Kyrie Irving as he's healthy, got healthy from his uh, surgery. Uh, you know, Gordon Haywood is back healthy this year, and they have all this young talent. And they they're fourth in the East, and they're just not playing well. It's they're thirty five and twenty, but there's enough bad teams in this league for you to get those thirty five wins. In my mind, the Celtics have not come up and win those big spots. I think having I don't know, not as much Gordon Hayward, but I think Kyrie Irving is stifling this team a little bit. And people hate me for saying that, but I really do think it's the truth. I have a really hard time with the way Kyrie Irving is playing right now. And Bill Ingram and I are going to have a real conversation about that in a few minutes. So, same thing with Gary. I've been saying this on Gary's radio show. I do a weekly call-in spot on uh, Gary's show every Thursday night. And I'll tell you, he and I argue about the Kyrie Irving thing with the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics, have some interesting pieces. They have Al Horford. They have um, Jason Tatum. They have Jalen Brown. Obviously, you know Hayward and Irving. You know, they, uh, they have Morris. Morris is. I, I don't like Morris's game as much as a lot of the other people do. I just don't like big men shooting threes too much. Give me if you're a big man, just find your way to get into the paint and just score because there's not a lot of inside presence in this in this today's NBA. The inside presence, a guy who's going to sit there and block your shots, there anymore. So I just have a very hard time with the Boston Celtics with the way they're constructed. They have a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, a lot of great players. On, I don't want to say great players, but they have a lot of good players on that team. They just should be a better team than 35 and 20. And they're tied right now with the Philadelphia 76ers, who the Sixers are going for. It. There's no doubt about it in my mind that the Philadelphia 76ers 
are going for it. They're, they don't want to hold on to assets. They, they're going for the win now. Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons. They just saw, I got Tobias Harris from the Los Angeles Clippers. They traded, they traded Marquise Fultz. And they're, they're the, the, who's the number one pick from last season. They're pretty much going for it. But is it enough? Is it enough to, ma- to make a huge splash and make a difference? Sixers fans are, are so confused. They just don't have much of a bench right now. I, I just don't know what the Sixers are doing in that sense where you want to give up that much. I don't know. We'll see, we'll see where, where it goes and how, it, how the whole thing plays out. I'm just not a huge fan of what they're doing. The Nets didn't make that much. Nets didn't make any moves of any note. The Charlotte Hornets uh, are going to wave Frank Kaminsky. Um, they were trying to find a home for him. The Hornets are just lucky in that spot where you know, the Pistons, the Wizards, and the Magic are playing bad enough that they're not in this in this spot. And the Miami Heat are still trying to navigate their way through all this. Dwayne Wade's final season. So I wish a little bit better for Dwayne Wade. I'm glad he'll possibly have a shot at the playoffs. And then, of course, the bottom half of the conference, like we said, the Pistons, they have too many guys playing similar positions. The Washington Wizards, they blew it up a little bit, making moves, sending, uh, making a couple of trades here and there. Um, Otto, Otto Porter moved, which was a little bit of a shock to a lot of people. Orlando Magic, like we said before, with the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm saying Marcus, Marquise Fultz. It would be very interesting to see where they go in the Atlanta Hawks. Chicago Bulls, Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Knicks were about the bottom half of the conference. The Knicks, of course, since us being from the New York metropolitan area, sort of just, I don't know. I'm just, obviously, the Knicks are going in for the free agency kill, but they they might come out empty-handed. And with that being said, on the Avon, the Avon hotline, that's what we're going to call it tonight, the Avon hotline. Thanks, Alyssa. Uh, Let's welcome in our good friend, Bill Ingram. Uh, Bill, first off, it's been such a long time. May the force be with you, first off. And second of all, uh, (laughs) (laughs) for those who don't know Bill Ingram, Bill Ingram, um, if I ever have a question about Star Wars, he is my man. He is my man who I go to with anything Star Wars. (laughs) The only thing um, I know more about than the NBA is Star Wars, yes. (laughs) Yes. And so, I, I, you know, before Gary A. jumps on the line with us, I think we might have to talk about Episode 9, or we'll just hold that off as another another topic for another time. <laughs> <laughs> well, J.J. Um, Abrams has a lot to fix. I mean, after he handed the reins over to Ryan Johnson, and Ryan Johnson screwed some things up, he's got to come back and fix some things. Most importantly, Ray's lineage. But anyway, yes, basketball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly you turn, suddenly you watch episode nine and Luke is alive again. Who knew that can happen? Um, uh, <laughs> well, that happens when Carrie Fisher kills herself with drugs, and then you have no choice but to, <laughs> you know. But to no anyone, one's ever dead ever in the forest. Yeah, let's just say the same thing. No one ever dies in the forest. Um, I was about to say, someone, anyone ever tell you have to start learning how to express yourself a little bit more, Bill? <laughs> um, <laughs> I've never actually been told that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely want to give you the opportunity to express yourself right now. Uh, I was going down the Eastern Conference and discussing some of the moves that were made this week. And there were some moves that made sense, and there was a lot of moves I was sitting there scratching my head going, how is that helping anybody? And I guess the first thing you have to talk about that is the team that seemed to make the most moves around the deadline, and that was the Philadelphia 76ers. And 
I'm not shaking my head and wondering why they moved Marquise Fultz because if anything, out of all the moves they made, that was the one that seemed to make the most sense of everything because he didn't want to be there. They didn't want him there. And, and they didn't want to use him, had, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they didn't want to use him, so why keep him? So I like to move for Orlando. It's a low-risk, high-reward situation. And I guess the, the real question is, is Elton Brand sort of treating the Philadelphia 76ers like it's a live version of uh, NBA 2K? with the types of moves that he's trying to make. Well, I wonder, you know, because on paper you go, man, Tobias Harris. Now, first of all, Tobias Harris has to be completely paranoid. The guy's got to rent for the rest of his career because he keeps getting traded no matter how well he plays. He hit the game-winning shot in his last game with the Clippers. And, oh, by the way, we've traded you. Granted, the Clippers, I guess, have thrown in the towel on the season and they've handed the next playoff spot to the Sacramento Kings. But it makes sense on paper to say, hey, yeah, we're going to add Tobias Harris. But have you forgotten that when you added Jimmy Butler, the first thing that happened was Joel Embiid was like, dude, I'm not getting enough shots. So is he suddenly more mature now and he's figured it out? Because you're only going to get fewer shots with Tobias Harris in the lineup because my man needs the ball too. you got to get Tobias some shots. And he's a great player. I mean, he's going to play both ends of the floor. He made the Clippers so much. He he was the reason the Clippers were arguably better without Blake Griffin, you know, when you get Tobias Harris back. So he's a great addition on that front. But then you have to take in the human factor and the fact that Joel Embiid is not ready to say, hey, I need to win and give up some of my points. He's still very much in a me-first mode in that stage of his career. So on that front, you wonder, is this going to create a chemistry issue more than it's going to help the team. But, hey, they were a middle-of-the-East team. They wanted to be a top team in the East, so this was kind of a go-for-broke move. And, I mean, if you're in that mode, go-for-broke, and you can get Tobias Harris and give up Markell, and you're not going to play him anyway, okay, well, let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, you know, that's the, the thinking that they had in that. And I look at the top five teams in the Eastern Conference. And the one team still in my mind that doesn't really belong there, and I'm amazed that they are still there, is the Indiana Pacers. The thinking that they're doing, yeah, well, especially, after, especially, after, especially using Old Depot, like what are they doing here? How are they still winners of their last four? Holding, holding defenses, uh, you know, holding teams to 103 points and them outscoring them 108. I'm, I'm not understanding how they're doing it. It's crazy because when Old Depot goes down, you figure, well, that was fun for the Pacers. <laughs> But instead, yeah. here they are, yeah. continuing to win. And first of all, it's a credit to coaching. Um, it's a credit to the rest of the team that saw their leader go down, and a lot of different guys are stepping up. And they do have a lot of guys. I mean, one night it's it's, Darryl, it's Darren Collison, who's a very good friend of mine. I love that guy. I love to see him play well. Um, but, you know, it's different guys. They've got a lot of guys that can step up, and a lot of different guys are stepping up. That is not a, I don't believe, a formula to win a playoff series. In a playoff series, you need one or two guys that you know are going to be the guy. It's never been a by-committee type of thing to win a playoff series. But in the regular season, hey, give them credit. They're not giving up. Everybody figured they'd give up when (laughs) Oladipo went down, and they haven't, and they're still competing. But can they beat uh, what's happening in Milwaukee? Can they beat... The you know now you've got Marcus Saul in Toronto. Can they beat uh, the retooled uh, once again retooled Sixers? We're not sure what's happening with Boston. I I don't know they can beat any of those teams. But to their credit, hey, here you go. I mean, 
you're not going to throw the season away. You're going to go out there and fight, and they're fighting, and that's got to be first and foremost a credit to coaching for making them believe in themselves. Nate McMillan is one of the most underrated coaches anyway, and we're seeing why now. I, I totally agree with you on that, but I think the moves that, uh, I don't know, sort of shake, shook up the Eastern Conference is the Toronto Raptors obtaining Marcus Gasol is now you have Lowry, Leonard, and Gasol. So now you have three scorers on that team, something that they needed for a long time. You and I have had this conversation in the past about the way the Raptors were constructed. Now, now it's a, I, I sort of feel like it's the Bucks and the Raptors and there's everybody else. And it's hard to say about with the Celtics there. I just broke down what was going on with Boston a few minutes ago before you came on. And I just feel like the, the return of Hayward and Irving has sort of stunted the growth of the young youth of the Celtics. Doesn't it seem that way? Like they were, so, yeah, it, it seems really like does. they were better without. <laughs> it seems like they should have <laughs> dealt Gordon Hayward, and because uh, last year no one expected any for anyone from anything from them, and they were really good. But then those guys come back. Now it's hard to argue they're better without Kyrie, but Gordon Hayward now seems to be the guy that you should have sent to New Orleans in a package for Anthony Davis, and you didn't do that even though it seemed like the Pelicans were waiting, well, it didn't seem like they were waiting for Boston to send them some kind of an offer, and Ainge never did that, or or whatever it was didn't match what the Pelicans were looking for. But, yeah, like Boston has taken a step back with those guys back in the lineup. And if you're Boston, you're in win-now mode. Like, you're, hey, we want to keep Kyrie mode. And they're sort of a middle-of-the-road team in the East, and – Two teams in the conference got radically better at the trade deadline, and you did nothing. And that just doesn't seem like the smart thing to do at this point. No, and it's funny, too. You say you would want to keep Kyrie, but do they really? Do they really? And you want to keep a guy at this point with that type of salary who's not really giving you 82 games a year, who you already have enough younger guys where if you decided to let him walk away at the end of the year, you're saving yourself a lot of money. And that's, that's the thing that a lot, of, a lot of people aren't really looking at. They're like, well, well how come they're not playing better? You know, is it, you know, it's not Kyrie. It's not Kyrie. It's not Kyrie. I think it is Kyrie because you, you know this too, brother, watching him playing with Cleveland for as long as we have. With Kyrie, he sort of needs to have the ball in his hand to be productive. He does. And when he has the ball in his, in his hands, he's one of the most clutch players in the league. But – I, I agree The in that if you let him walk, you now have a max salary slot, right? So yeah. if you could let him walk and sign Anthony Davis or you let him walk, you know, like it gives you the chance to sign somebody else, maybe say Kevin Durant, for example, would I give up Kyrie to sign Kevin Durant? Oh, in a, in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Um, can you lure Kevin Durant away from Golden State? I don't know. But, you know, it comes down <laughs> to that. that. <laughs> yeah, it comes yeah. down to that. Yeah. If you let him walk and you can sign a bigger name, yeah. Do you let him walk and get no one? Mm, no. That's tough. That's tough. Yeah. No, if you, I, if you I, don't have somebody else I, on the line, you got to keep Kyrie. Yeah, I, I, I get that, too. And there's all these reports about Anthony Davis. You know, his, his dad doesn't want him playing in Boston. He doesn't want to play in Boston. I don't see how that's really I, – I, a lot's going to change between now and the end of the season. 
you know, if all of a sudden there's there's overtures between the Pelicans and the you know the Pelicans and the Demarcus Cousins about him possibly coming back after the season, like there was a little bit of talk of that, then you never know. All of a sudden, Davis's tune might change a little bit. You know what I mean? And then and all this was a, a lot to do about nothing. Kobe Bryant requested a trade with the Lakers. We saw how that worked out. So before we start jumping to the conclusion that Davis is really going to be moving on, let's see it what happens at the end of the year. That's my attitude towards it. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I think so, that's right. And I think that's the gamble that the Pelicans have made too, is, you know, oh, you're going to leave, really? Well, let's see, you know, where you think you're leaving to. <laughs> How important is money? Yeah. How important is winning? The Lakers are the the dysfunctional center of the NBA, which we knew that everybody they signed, you know, was a head case, Rondo, they've had, and Beasley, which they got rid of, but can LeBron really turn a bunch of head cases into a playoff team? And so far, granted, he was injured, but so far, no. <laughs> so yeah. I, if I'm Anthony yeah. Davis, that's a tough choice. You know, to, the decision to go to L.A. would be a tough one for me if I'm Anthony Davis. Well, you know, just because he wants to go to L.A. doesn't mean he has to go to the Lakers. He can go to Clippers. That's true. Jerry, Jerry West. <laughs> Jerry West, you know, Jerry West is not a dumb human being. You look what he has done between the Lakers, the Grizzlies, and the Warriors. You know, I, I look at what he's doing right now as, as the Clippers. He knows he's got, he doesn't want to make the playoffs as the eighth seed and get bounced in the first round and not have much opportunity or as much cap space as he possibly could have. So he's very smart right. from what he's did with Harris and getting, and getting more draft picks. And he's opening up salary room because, like, I still don't think that if the Warriors are as committed to keeping Clay Thompson, or, or I'm sorry, Kevin Durant, as they seem that they want to be, I can't picture Clay Thomas, Clay, sorry, Clay Thompson and um, Draymond Green really being happy about money that they're not getting when they have an opportunity to go to L.A. and get some of that money. So I just can't see this core group staying, uh, you know, staying together. And I can picture Clay being the guy. And you and I said this before. And other times we've we've done the shows together. But I think Clay is the one who's gonna be who wants his uh, his credit. He wants his due diligence, and he wants his money. So eventually, he's gonna want to. He's gonna he's gonna be the one who's gonna be overlooked and walk away. It could be, um, and, and it's really it would be interesting to know what the mentality is because you have an opportunity to be part of a dynasty and win forever, you know, but. Do you need to prove yourself in your own right? Do you need to say, hey, I can be the star. I don't have to be the guy that gets the catch from Steph and drains the three. I can lead a team on my own. Or are you happy? You know, it's all about ego versus money, right? Your ego says, hey, I want to be my own guy uh, and go make max money to play somewhere else. Lots of teams, any team that has a max contract would happily throw that at either Kevin Durant or Clay Thompson, either one. I would certainly do it. If I'm a GM, I want I would happily throw my max money deal at either one of those guys. The question is, are those guys in a place where it's like, man, I love playing here. It's a beautiful city. We win, <laughs> you know, we're going to win the championship forever and and that's great and I'm going to get the rings or does it become at some point, all right, I've won my rings. Now let me go be the man somewhere else. And it's all about where their mentality is. You know, is that the mentality? Is the mentality to be a winner? Is the mentality to be a part of a team that's unstoppable? Is the mentality to leave and go prove yourself 
somewhere else. And that's what we're going to see play out, especially, I think, with Kevin Durant. You just wonder, as much as he wants to engage with the media about, oh, you're talking about the Knicks. Of course, that's what the media does. The media is not focused on the season, the here and now. The media is focused on next summer because that's where the fans are focused. And I hate it. I I hate that aspect of, of the game. I hated it when I was in arenas every night, that the most interesting thing anybody wanted to talk about was, at the end of this season, you're a free agent. What are you going to do? I could care less about it, about that personally, but that's what the fan base wants, and it's what you're pushed to do. And that's why you see the media becomes a feeding frenzy the, in the final year of a contract for a guy like Kevin Durant. And it's just unfortunate. But we're going to see, aren't we? We're going to see what he chooses to do. And with that being said, because I definitely want to talk to Durant a little bit more, but let's also welcome in our, our, our buddy Gary Aid from the NBARadioShow.com as well as the NBA Show, which can be heard every single week on SB Nation and also on NBARadioShow.com. Uh, Mr. Aid, we welcome you. What is going What's up, on, Gary? my friend? <laughs> hey, Bill, what's going on? It's like a family reunion. Fancy us <laughs> meeting here. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a little appropriate. It's actually a little appropriate that it's on my show, of course. Uh, it's very appropriate. So- you were Mr. Cupid. Um, <laughs> I, I think out of all the things that I've been called in my life, that might have been the first time anyone's ever called me Cupid. So please, uh, that's the first and hopefully the last time that ever happens. <laughs> you know so, what? Hey, you could get it, man. What can I tell you? Yeah, listen, I appreciate it. Um, you know, we, the, the, the situation, before we go back into the trades and some of the moves that were made during the week, I have both of you here. And obviously, you know, Bill, you're a veteran as far as the media world is concerned. I've had my share of opportunities, and Gary's certainly getting his feet wet as well with everything as far as, uh, you know, how the media works, especially with the NBA. What did you take away from the Kevin Durant situation? We'll start with Bill first. What did you take away with this whole thing? Because I looked at it, and this is just my personal opinion. Um, I know the host usually goes last with with how he feels, but I felt really strongly about this. I think that Kevin Durant seems to be the most sensitive superstar I've ever seen play in this league. Because at the end of the day, like like you just said before, people don't really want to talk about the season that they're dominating again. People want, you know, people are concerned about what he's doing. But for him to come out and say, I don't trust the media, and this is all that you guys want to talk about, well, there's nothing else to really talk about. Do you want to have, have him talk about beating the Phoenix Suns again? I, I had a real hard time. I've had a very hard time with a guy who's got a burner account on Twitter so he can, uh, you know, so he can talk back to fans and, and communicate with fans by telling them how stupid they are with uh, having a burner account just to uh, you know, troll fans like that. He's a very immature guy. Um, he's a great player. I've never been doubting how great of a player is. I still don't like the move he made from Oklahoma City to Golden State. So I, I just think that was a very weak move. And by him – Feeding into the media this way, I think he is a very sensitive, weak superstar. Bill, let's get get your take first. Well, I've admired the move. Now, now, full disclosure, I got to know Kevin Durant when he was playing for UT, and I've known him for a long time. And I really like KD, and and we've talked many times, uh, sometimes about basketball, a lot of times not about basketball. Um, And I really like the guy. But you're absolutely right in saying he's overly sensitive. You have to, at some point, realize that the media, their purpose 
our purpose is separate from your purpose as a player or your purpose as a team. Our purpose, unfortunately, it's almost you're almost at odds with each other because our purpose is to drive page views. Right at the end of the day, for the media to get paid anymore, you have to drive page views because no one pays for subscriptions really. You're not selling a newspaper or a magazine. The only way you're getting any money is by running ads on your website and you're driving page views to that website by getting a player to say something silly or stupid or to get angry or, you know, whatever. So the way that he was baited, and it worked, unfortunately. Uh, you know, they baited him, and he got upset. And, oh, my God, it's the front story, the front page story on ESPN. Kevin Durant's all upset about the suggestion that he's going to go to New York, blah, blah, blah. If you're KD, it's unfortunate. Someone should be coaching him about dealing with the media. Someone should be saying to Kevin Durant, look, you don't answer that question, man. You just keep your mouth shut. But this is the Kevin Durant who had his, as you mentioned, his own. He was had a separate Twitter account so that he could answer and stick up for himself in a from a third-person point of view. And that's just not – I mean, look at Kobe, man. Look at Akeem. Look at Jordan. Look at – you don't have to stick up for yourself. You're Kevin Durant. You're the best or second-best player in the league. Uh, there's your finals MVP. You don't have to do that. Just ignore the question. What you say is, and this is the answer. The stock answer is I'm here to put, to help the golden state warriors win another championship. I want to be finals MVP again. And if you want to talk about next year, catch me next year. That's your answer. You can't get into it with the media. It's just too bad. It's too bad that the media has become that, that it's not about tonight because tonight is a no-brainer. The Warriors are going to win, especially with DeMarcus Cousins. They're going to win the championship. No one can stop this team. So no one's worried about tonight's win. Everybody's worried about next year. Um, and it's just, you know, it pits the team and the player against the media. The media has a job to do that is not the same job that the player and the team have to do. The player and the team need to focus on tonight's game and beat the Phoenix Suns. The media needs to drive page views. And those two purposes are really at cross purposes right now in the way the world works. And so KD should be smarter. He should be smart enough to realize that and just not engage. But you're absolutely right. Uh, he doesn't. He, he does. He engages. He cares too much what the media thinks. And uh, that's why we see that kind of a situation play out. And for the fact that he called out a writer too. That was the part that I had a hard, like, I've seen this happen before. It happened when I was covering the Giants last year where Brandon Marshall uh, called out a writer for a story that he wrote about one of his teammates, and uh, Kevin Durant did it the other day. The other part of it, too, that I, I've also had a hard time with, with with his press conference, and Gary, I promise we'll get to you because I know you have a lot to say about this as well, but the one thing that, I, that really hit a raw nerve with me was, yeah, the media has a job to do, and, yeah, you have to make yourself – Available too, but guys like Raymond Ritter, who's the uh, P, the PR director for the Warriors, he should know better too. You know, where's the point where Kevin Durant could just say, if, there has, "If you have any questions about free agency, I'm just not engaging it." And that's something that Ray, you know the, the staff, the PR staff, should be saying, "Look, if anyone asks you about this, this is how you should handle it." Because no one's else, no one's asking uh, Clay what he wants to do, or Draymond, or even Demarcus, or what's going to happen because Demarcus is only is a one year rental this year. So. Yeah, uh, it's well, everybody knows them. those guys aren't going to answer the question. 
No, that's yeah, a great point. Raymond Ritter's been around forever. Hey, his staff has been uh we voted for him and, and they won um PR staff of the year from the from sports writers um when I was still in locker rooms every night. I voted for them. They're fabulous to work with. They know the game. You're right. And yeah. that you're right, Ray should have should have stepped in at that point. They had to be standing right there. You've got to step in and say, Hey, this is over, let's cut this. Uh, this is not the line of questioning that we want Kevin Durant engaging in. You've got to understand the mentality of your player and really protect him. That's really about protecting the player and protecting the team by stepping in and saying, hey, this is not uh, – I mean, hell, there was a night uh, when the last year that KD was with the Thunder that some PR intern tried to step in and stop him talking to me. Uh, and we weren't even – I wasn't even – we were talking about – he was asking about my daughter. Like we weren't even talking about basketball and he wound up, we wound up stepping out onto the court and continuing our private personal conversation away from the PR guy. But that is their job is to be there and to protect the player and the team. When something like that is asked, that's the purpose of the PR person uh, to know your player and understand where their vulnerabilities are. And that's Katie's vulnerability. You know, you've got to keep KD focused on the game, and when someone from the media tries to get him distracted, you should step in. You're absolutely right, and Ray knows that. You're completely on point with that. Raymond Ritter's been around forever. He knows the game, and that is a situation where he could have stepped in and prevented the whole situation. Gary, please chime in. Yeah, well, I mean, Bill kind of said it. I mean, the thing thing is, and maybe I'm a – cut from a different cloth, but my my opinion is, he's a grown man, and I get that the PR department is paid and paid good money to do the exact job that Bill described, and that's 100% accurate, but at the end of the day, if I'm paying someone $30 million or $28 million or whatever exceedingly amazing amount of money KD's going to earn <laughs> to play basketball for the Golden State Warriors or anyone else uh, after this offseason, like, you know what? Deal with it. Uh, like, there's things about my job that I stink at, that I hate, that drive me crazy. You do it because that's part of the deal. And to me, this is a grown man who can be act like a child, like you said, Randy. But at the end of the day, he's not a child. He's a grown man, and he just should you know, deal with it. I mean, it's, the guy's going to do his job nine times out of ten, and when he, and when he doesn't or if he you know, gets distracted with something else or whatever happens, look, you got to be able to be a grown man about it. And the truth of the matter is, I mean, there's this gaping hole in your legacy, and you are super sensitive. And we know this about KD. It's no big secret. He went to Golden State, and no one's respected the move because, frankly, you know, that team was winning 70 games without him and titles without him and probably could have continued to do that. So the truth of the matter is, until he goes and wins almost anywhere else, the good news for KD is, you can go to, like, 29 other teams and not have that effect. So, to me, maybe it's 28. But basically, you can go to almost any other team in the NBA, and if he wins, or at least make them from blah to title contending, even if they don't win a title, I think he gets more respect for that. Like, let's say he went to the Knicks and made them a conference finals contender for years. That would be more impressive to, I think, most NBA pundits and fans than the three titles he's won in, in Oakland. And, like, we know he cares deeply about how he's perceived. So, you know, why wouldn't why wouldn't people assume he's going to leave? I'm assuming he's 
I think he's gone. And I think the Knicks are very much in the running. Uh, I'm going to chime in one other thing, too, and you both can tell me if you think I'm wrong or right. If he's really committed to the Golden State Warriors and he really doesn't want all these distractions, maybe he should have signed a longer-term deal if he was really committed to this franchise. That's just me. I, I don't think, like, I understand. There's no commitment Le- 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 in basketball anymore, Randy. You know that. There's no commitment in basketball. Everyone's higher done. It's a, it's, a, it's a game of, you know, make the money that you can make while you can make it. And, you know, that's the way it should be. I think this whole idea of loyalty in sports is the biggest fairy tale outside of the two fairies. I think it's garbage, and I think it needs to stop. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, honestly, I miss, I miss, I miss the days. You know, growing up for me, the reason I got into covering the NBA in the first place uh, was because the NBA was so competitive. You know, I grew up in Houston. I've been a lifelong Rockets fan, even now. Though I'm not a, I, I just hate that the way James Harden is allowed to travel all over the place. Like Popovich said, <laughs> I guess that's legal now. I don't enjoy watching that. It's very hard to watch the Rockets play because it seems like. They went. They win because rules are bent for James Harden. The rules were never bent for Akeem. In fact, Akeem would get fouled six times, and you're lucky if they called one of them on a possession. Well, that it's I a mean, very you know, right different that. mentality. That goes back to that goes back to Will Stable and even further back to George Mikan. I mean, big men have always gotten the brunt of that. That's just the reality of being the big in the NBA. Yeah, so what did Akeem do? Akeem evolved to the point where he made so many moves that you could foul right. him six times and he'd still score. It's called the dream right. shake. No one could stop right. him. He'd, he'd turn left, you'd foul him. He'd turn right, you'd foul him. He'd back off and hit a step-back jump right. shot. I mean, you just couldn't stop Akeem. But Correct. in those days, every team had their franchise player, and it was about when it was the Rockets playing Utah, it was about watching Akeem go against Malone and Stockton. When the Rockets played San Antonio, it was Akeem versus David Robinson. When the Rockets played the, the you know, pick a team. All the great teams, every team, I mean, it, the playoffs were not a foregone conclusion. You couldn't be sitting here in February and say, the team that's going to win the championship is, because you just didn't know. I couldn't. Uh, I you mean, couldn't. I could have said Chicago and been right 70% of the time in that decade. Yeah, I mean, but you didn't have <laughs> you didn't have the option to say uh, prior to Jordan. You didn't have the option to say that it was so. You could say, well, it's going to be Boston. Well, it's going to be the Lakers. Well, it's going to be the Knicks. Well, and you didn't know. Now, no, you know, you know the Golden State Warriors. You, hey, KD could get hurt with a season-ending injury, and the Warriors would still win. You know, yeah, because they've true. got so much talent that's, that's on that true. team. Yeah, DeMarcus and Cousins comes in. Too. My God, they were the best team in the league before DeMarcus Cousins got healthy. Now he's coming in. <laughs> I mean, forget right, well, it. Let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. All right, so you go through the history of the NBA. Let's go back to the beginning just for the sake of completeness. The, the 50s in the formative years of the NBA, the Minneapolis Lakers won five titles. Then the late 50s and through the decade of the 60s, the Celtics won basically every title with a couple of titles. 11, yeah. (laughs) Um, 11 titles, yeah. The most forgotten era of NBA history that no one ever talks about is the only decade that you have one here, two there, one there, two there, and that's the forgotten decade that no one gives any respect to. Then you have the 80s with the Celtics and the Lakers, Sixers in there for one year, Pistons at the end. Then you have the 90s with Jordan, the early 2000s with the Lakers, and now you have these Warriors. My point is, the NBA needs these dominant teams 
not the other way around. The one decade they didn't have a dominant team is the most miserable decade of NBA history. They almost went out of business. They had finals on tape delay in the 70s. I, I'm going to disagree with you, though. From Again, from my generation growing up through the 90s, don't get me wrong, the Bulls dominated six out of eight years, and the other two years the Houston Rockets won the championship. Like Bill said, there was this, this – well, I understand, but you have to understand, too, you're looking at that point in time, and you were you – were, yes, the Bulls were in the finals, but who were they in the finals against? That cast always seemed to change. It was still very competitive because you didn't know if Chicago was still going to get out. You had the Indiana Pacers pushing them to seven games in 1998. You had other teams that were pushing the Bulls at certain, at certain points. The Knicks were, were great it adversaries during the first the three This is yeah, seven the games. The they went seven. Yeah. No, okay. the, the, no, the, the, no, 1998, they went seven games. Bill, I'm, I'm – 99% oh, sure of that. Okay. Okay. You're confident. Yeah, okay. You're right. Okay. Okay. I was talking about okay, the finals. So, no, no, no. They, they, yeah, the Bulls never went seven games in an NBA finals. So the right, conf- right, in the conference okay. finals, they went seven games. So yeah, yeah, okay. I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, though, right now you have so many of the stars combining up. If this was back in the early 90s, the Charlotte Hornets would have had the Larry Johnsons and Alonzo Mornings. Glenn Rice but, would be, know, in the, and Tim Hardaway on the on the Miami Heat. But, you know, but Randy, in in years past, and really up until the last fifteen twenty five years, there was no need for stars to combine because there was no salary cap, and you had stars to begin with. I mean, the eighties Lakers had at times five Hall of Famers. The Celtics had five Hall of Famers. You know, the, the Bulls have three Hall of Famers. Warriors have. Four or five Hall of Famers. I mean, that's just, you know, it's always been that way. And, I mean, that's what the NBA is about. It's about star players. And to me, I look at it and I think to myself, like, the way it's done now is different. There's no question the mechanism of the way it's done is different, but the result's the same thing. I don't think it's, the NBA's never been about surprises. The NBA's always been about stars. The only reason it's like that. It is about stars, but I think in previous eras, the stars didn't want to play together. That's me. In the previous, if you had said, hey, Michael, you want to go play with Stockton Malone, he would have cussed you out. (laughs) I mean, no, he didn't want to. (laughs) He wanted to beat them. You know, Stockton didn't want to go play with Akeem. Stockton wanted to beat Akeem. Dominique Wilkins didn't want to go play with Jordan. He wanted to beat Jordan. It was a matter of pride. Now the guys are all buddies, and, and yes, the AA, you know, it's well documented. The AAU system has a lot to do with this. These guys are all buddies before they ever get to the NBA now. But previous I mean, eras, they were enemies. You know, they wanted to but, kill each other on the court. Even Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson. Isaiah and Magic were best friends off the court, but when the ball went up on the court, they were bitter enemies. Sure. You know, oh, yeah. those rivalries, that's that's what's missing to me is but the right. All the guys you're talking about, with the exception of maybe Wilkins, played with other stars and Hall of Famers, and they happened, you know, a different way. But all these guys play with other Hall of Famers. I mean, Scotty Pippen is an absolute blue chip Hall of Fame player. I don't care what anybody. The says. only reason he's in okay, hey, okay, Scotty Pippen, you just stepped on my pet spot right there. Scotty Pippen is never <laughs> in the Hall of Fame if he doesn't play with the with with Jordan. Scotty Pippen got into the Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Famer because he carried Jordan's baggage. 
the moment Jordan what retired, Scotty was no Pippen? longer. Uh, what did Jordan do look, without Pippen? Draft Kwame Brown. I'm saying. I'm saying he's Robin. He's not Batman. Pippen went to Portland and shot them out of the playoffs against the Lakers. Portland went, uh, Pippen went to Houston and was a complete ass. I mean, a complete waste of space in Houston. Pippen also took those old teams while Jordan quit and went and played baseball, then almost the final team again. They won almost. two or three games left without Jordan. My point is Pippen almost. was a great player to his own right. But he's and not he a Hall of Famer. Well, he is. He's not a Hall of Famer without Jordan. Jordan's not a Hall of Famer That's my point about Jordan? Oh, I think Jordan's Jordan? a Hall of Famer oh. no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Jordan, no, Jordan's this is not an argument you're going to win here, Gary. <laughs> no, Jordan, Jordan's in the Hall of Fame without Pippen, but he's Clyde Drexler, not Michael Jordan. He doesn't win those titles. I don't know. I, I, no don't, way, no I don't agree with that. I think, I think Jordan... <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> Jordan was I, the greatest I, player of his era, regardless yeah, of who I, he was I, playing I, with. I, on that one. I mean, and I love Clyde. Player. I love Clyde Drexler. Hey, Clyde's one of my hometown guys. When he came yeah, to Houston, no, I popped a bottle of champagne because it was so Absolutely. great to see my two favorite players on the same team, Akeem and Clyde. But Jordan and, and Clyde were not – I mean, that's not – Jordan was a step above Clyde at all times. And I hate to say it because I love Clyde. I didn't have much use for Jordan personally. I love Clyde personally. But Jordan, <laughs> he yeah, was something else. Jordan, I mean, that guy. He didn't win anything without Pippen. It's a lot different than Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant well, you won, won on a bad team, oh, a great team that already didn't need him. <laughs> the same well, thing. Well, yeah, look, look. I'm never going to ever deny and tell you that Jordan didn't need Pippen. Pippen didn't need Jordan. That argument is, is that's not even an argument. They, they, they right. were magic together. You know what I mean? And that, right. and that's, that part of it is not even, is not even in question, but the simple fact of the matter is Jordan was, what, I think Jordan had a different type of attitude than Larry and magic had back from that time, because Jordan was such a fierce competitor and, and Bird he was, was a, he was a different. I'm not saying he wasn't, but you know, you know, Bill, you you covered the NBA for a long time, and you covered around that Jordan time too. But, but Jordan had just a different tenacity of if you're going to beat him, you're going to have to kill him to do it. I'm not saying that Larry and Magic didn't have that same type of tenacity, but I just felt like it was a different type of game watching Magic, watching Larry, than watching Media Jordan. It's just not true. I mean, Bird, I, I, before the back I have injury, to... was every bit of player as Jordan. Before the back injury, Bird was every bit as good as Jordan ever was. Well, I'll I'm tell you, I, I use this example. I, I, teach, I teach college writing now, uh, and I talk to people about, you know, they always want to ask about who covering the NBA. And I will tell you that one of the most clutch moments I've ever seen, I'm not a Celtic. I've never, I've hated the Celtics. Obviously, in right. Houston, there's no Houston, there's no Celtics fans. When they signed Kevin McHale to coach, I thought that was really ironic. Uh, VP of basketball, <laughs> Sam Hinkie, called me. He's like, what do you think of our coach signing? And I said, well, at least you didn't sign Jerry Seesting. I mean, you could have found somebody that the, the fan base hated more than Kevin McHale, who was a horrible coach. Uh, but there was a game, and I don't remember which year it was, but it, I was a kid, and it was game seven, Lakers-Celtics, of course, and uh, the Lakers were up two in Boston, game seven. There's like two seconds left on the clock. 
The Celtics inbound the ball to Bird right in front of Pat Riley. Bird takes the shot, turns to Riley and says, game, starts walking. His back is to the basket, walking towards the Celtics <laughs> locker room. And then the three falls. Then he has wow. already, he's taken the shot. He's trash talked the coach and he's walking away and he doesn't bother to look. <laughs> and the game winning shot fell and they won the championship. And I'm not a bird fan. But I'm saying, my God, the cojones on that guy. And I don't have any use for him personally. I've been, you know, he's in his role with the Pacers. I've been around him. I've, my, one of my very good friends with the GM of the Pacers and got screwed by Bird. I have no use for Larry Bird. And in, even with that, and I hated him as a player, and I hated the Celtics because they were playing the Rockets in the finals. All of that to be said. I have to say that Bird, prior to, I mean, wow. Like, that is just, you know, to have that confidence, to be that good, to where you're going to take the shot and trash talk the coach and walk off and not even watch the shot fall. I mean, come on. That's that's just. That's next level <laughs> stuff right there. That, that's really just a, that's another good. tier, you know. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great funny you bring that. I, I told Gary this story on his show. Um, I think I told him on the show. I don't know if we did it on air, but I remember telling him this story about when I was covering the, the Nets with uh, Jason Kidd and Vince Carter, that they were Vince first came to New Jersey in that trade that year. And, Bill, I don't know if you remember this, but when Vince first got to New Jersey, there was nights where he was blowing him up for like 35, 40 points a game. That's how oh, yeah. on fire Vince he was at, the, at that beast. point. He was, he was a beast. It was definitely beast mode. And I remember sitting at the scorer's table and hearing Jason taunt Vince and say, I bet you can't hit it 10 feet behind the three-point line. And the Celtics were ahead <laughs> of the division at this point. And all of a sudden, Vince just pops, pops out there about 10 feet behind the three-point line with, uh, with 15 on the shot clock and just shoots a three, and it just goes in like it's nothing. And you hear Vince yell to Jason, you owe me 100. <laughs> you well, know, that's why Vince is like, still putting up 15 a night in in Atlanta at 45 years old. You know, he's a, he's a gamer, yeah. man. He's well, amazing. You know, yeah, we all had a great player. Listen, we all. But even Akeem, I mean, you you watch Akeem now. You can watch Akeem schooling Dwight Howard just a couple of years ago. Akeem was 50. One fifty-two years old, and I talked to him after this happened. I, he invited me over to his house in one of the nothing in my career would ever top sitting in Akeem's house, talking Rockets basketball with him. That was amazing. But one thing he talked about was, you know, Dwight. Um, after he had schooled Dwight, he had schooled Kobe, he had schooled LeBron. LeBron had come to him after the Mavericks beat them in the finals, and LeBron said, "I'm the best player. Why can't I win?" And Akeem said, "You don't respect the game." Actually, he said, "You don't respect the game," right? So, but Akeem was schooling Dwight Howard at 50 something years old and Dwight in his prime. And it's all about uh, the fact that you, Dwight doesn't, you know, <laughs> Dwight Howard is not Akeem Olajuwon. Dwight doesn't have lower body strength. He doesn't have lower body moves. He likes to flex for the mirror. And so he goes and gets his upper body workout in and he leaves the gym where Akeem had the whole thing going on. And Akeem could use his base to still root a key, to root Dwight out and prevent Dwight from scoring and use his foundation. Uh, and I think that kind of mentality of that era, that when Vince was in his prime, Akeem, Jordan, 
there was kind of a different mentality, it seems like, where so many players yeah. were so good at so many different things. And yeah, I, I, now... I guess we'll agree to disagree on this one, because I, I, I think the uh, way the teams have built has changed, but truthfully, I think players are just as good as they've ever been. And I, I don't think there's a big year or another. I think great players are great players. And I think whether you're talking about the 60s with Oscar and Jerry and Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, or you're talking about today with LeBron and AD and Curry, I think great players are great players. The one, the one exception to that that I will grant, I do believe that smallest guards like Curry and Harden benefit from today's style of play. But big forwards and front court players, they could play in any year. Like, there's no way you could tell me that Anthony Davis wouldn't be a monster in 1994 or that LeBron. Yeah, no, no, no question. Yeah, front court players. The the Steph Currys and, you know, yeah. what you're talking about can, can yeah. thank the Kenny Smith, Derek Harper 1994 yeah. NBA Finals for the rules yeah, change so to where now guards are allowed to penetrate at will. Right. And <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I would agree that you can take the top ten team top, top team players in today's game and put them in any era, and they're top ten. I mean, they're, you know, they're amazing. But I think you right. had – once you get below the top 10, like Dwight Howard as a perfect example, and there was a time where he was one of the most talked about stars in the league, but you put him back 10 years, who's he going to beat? He's not going to beat Brad Doherty or Mark Eaton, well, no. way, you know, not way, to mention Akeem or David Robinson or, or Ewing. Or, <laughs> in a way, though, it would be better for Howard because he'd be stylistically more at home in an era that wasn't all about three. In fact, his career has the, trajectory of his career decline has run in direct um, lockstep with the changes of the game over the last seven years. I mean, let's not forget, in 2009, this guy was an MVP candidate and took a team to the finals where the next best player was T.D. Kirkland. He did do that. So Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, get, you got to give Otis Smith credit, though. When you've got a guy like that and you surround him with all these three-point shooters, I mean, that yeah, was but, kind of a no-brainer. But that doesn't work anymore because you can't build a team around a traditional post player. That's why I think stylistically Howard might have been better coming in the league in 1992 than he was now because of the fact that, you know, you could still be a traditional center then. Maybe. And he might, and he might have developed his lower body. Somebody might have coached him and said, hey, you got to – no, you're not leaving the gym yet. You didn't do the legs yet, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you you'd had to go up against so many great centers back then, where now eh, how many great centers are there in the league? Eh, not very many. Not, that, oh, not right. many at all. Yeah, um, guys, before we wrap – before we wrap up with, uh, with I, I, I feel like we can do this for like two hours <laughs> with, with us just sitting here and just talking hoops. <laughs> um, you, you have three, I know you have three basketball guys just sitting there going at it right now, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, me being a growing up being a New Jersey Nets fan, not a Brooklyn Nets fan, a New Jersey Nets fan, um, Bill being a Houston Rockets guy, and Gary, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a Lakers guy. Yeah, in name only, but yes, I'm a Lakers guy. <laughs> okay, if I if if I had to say we'll, we'll start with Gary, move over to Bill, and then I'll go myself. If I had to say your Mount Rushmore of your team, who would it be? Of just Laker players. Yeah, just All Lakers. All right, um, Kareem, Kobe, and it's so hard to choose between Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. 
I'm going to go Elton Baylor because of what he meant to saving the franchise when they moved over. Um, I'm not going Will because I don't think he's played with the Lakers long enough. Um, so I'm not choosing the best four. I'm choosing the four that I think meant the most to the status of the franchise. So I'm going to go Kobe, Magic, you know, and I'm going to go Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. I'm going to leave Bob Cream, even though I think he's the best player of all time, because I'm going with the most important to the history of the franchise. So Kobe, Magic, Elgin, and Jerry. Okay. Bill, you're up. All right. I got to go Akeem Olajuwon, obviously. There, there's no question he's the, the best Four player in the history Elijah. of the franchise. Yeah, <laughs> it's just before Akeem, right? Four times. Completely four different, four different busts of Akeem. But I think you do have to give credit to Moses Malone, who got them to the finals the first time. Uh, so I'd go Moses. I'd definitely go Clyde Drexler, even though he was a short-term rocket. But he's a Houstonian, and what he did when Akeem was injured to get them into the playoffs and then eventually they won the championship together, I thought was absolutely phenomenal. So I'm going to go Malone. Olajuwon, Drexler, and then you have to go James Harden. I really want to get Yao Ming in there. It's just that injuries kept them from being as good as they could have been uh, with his skill set because he was such an incredible player. But the the ongoing foot injuries and all the surgeries he had to have uh, prevented the Rockets from reaching their full potential with Yao. So my four would be Moses, Akeem, Drexler, and Harden, and then there's a guy on the bottom trying to chisel a picture of Yao Ming, too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just glad he didn't say Vernon Maxwell. Uh, (laughs) Mad um, Max. He thought about it. It was that and Kenny Smith. He certainly, hey, they don't don't win that 94 championship without Mad Max and Kenny Smith bombing from the outside, but but the only reason Mad Max was open so much is because nobody could guard him with a key in the post. That's right. Uh, or, or you could have picked, or you, or you could have picked Big Shot Bob, Robert Ory. Yeah, no, and there's the there's the Hall of Fame conversation, right? How many championships do you have yeah. to win to be in the Hall of Fame? Even though you only made three <laughs> shots for each of those championship <laughs> runs, but they were all the biggest shots of the series. You know? <laughs> no one, and, and that's the funny thing is that nobody ever brings up like, oh, you don't want Ory out there. Why not? He's usually about one for six. It's just he just he gets that one shot when there's five seconds left every single time. Right. Yep, but he'll block a lot of shots and get a lot of rebounds before he makes that game-winning shot. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know well, Randy, before you go, I do have to ask you: since you're doing the Nets, do you have four guys like yes, not yes, we have yes, yes, Keith Van Horn two. Oh. <laughs> right. Uh, he, he's hey, he's honorable mention. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I would have to say you have you have, obviously you have to put Jason Kidd there. Um, yeah. Yep. Because from what from the what his contributions to the franchise is overwhelming. Then you, um, I, I I think you also have to put Vince Carter there because he's the all-time leading uh, scorer in franchise history because he he's yep. accomplished a lot. Um, I think you know, you're not going to ignore the success that that Jason Kidd era team had, and only even though he only played a couple seasons there, you, I think what Kenyon Martin brought to that franchise was was something special. Um, Completely, and I'm going I agree, one hundred percent. And I'm going to exclude uh, Kenny Anderson and Derek Coleman from this part of the conversation, but I do have to put Drazen Petrovic as the fourth guy 
because I think Drazen Petrovic, mm. not what he more did for the Nets, but what he was able to do for the league, as he was really, you know, Sarnas Marshallonis was definitely a successful story in the NBA. But I think Drazen Petrovic really opened the door for the international player in the NBA. And if you ask a lot of like, guys like Peja Stoyakovic and other foreign players in the league, they'll all agree. So I think you have to put Draz in there. And I think he was mm-hmm. one of the most beloved Nets of all time. So I think Petrovic definitely deserves that fourth spot. I'm I'm glad you put yeah. Petrovic in there because I thought you were going to go carry Kittles and just say, ah, the 2003 Nets. <laughs> <laughs> no, Imagine no, how like, good Drazen would have been, you know. Oh, yeah. Drazen was such an it, incredible it, player. Uh, he was. Yeah, he's my all-time favorite. He's my all-time favorite player. Um, uh, just a quick story before we wrap up. I know I keep saying that, but um, when I was 12 years old, uh, Petro's last year with the Nets. They ran a contest. I think it was like through Pizza Hut or something. And if you win, you get to go to practice and you get to shoot around with the player of your choice. And I actually like, it, it's like the thing where they pick like 40 kids and I was lucky enough to win. So by the time I got to go, they said, who do you want to go with? I go, Drazen Petrovic. And it was cool because I'm sitting there shooting at the age of 12 with Drazen Petrovic. I'm like, this is really, 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 really cool. I was awesome. lucky enough to go. And then that night they had a game. They practiced at Rampo College at the time. And um, that night they played the Houston Rockets at the Meadowlands, and Drazen scored his season, his career high of 44 in the NBA. So that, to me, that was like one of my favorite stories of, of all time. It's almost good as my Jordan story, which yeah. I told Bill before That's I told Gary. <laughs> the Jordan story is still one of my favorites. Uh, but we'll definitely go back into another time. But, guys, I'm against the clock here. Uh, Gary A. from the NBA show uh, on SB Nation Radio. Uh, Bill Ingram, you know, he's forgotten more basketball than than Gary and I will ever know. So that's, uh, <laughs> I think, the best way of <laughs> best way of describing it. Uh, for, for Gary, I'll probably talk with you uh, during the week this week. Uh, Bill, obviously, we'll be texting and let May the Force be with you as always. And um, well, we <laughs> always a pleasure, on. guys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is this is a lot of fun. We got to do this again. We got to do this again. Hey, I, I'm game anytime. You got yeah. it. You Let's got it. Uh, so, so, as we move on to the NBA, back to the NFL for, uh, you know, recapping what the Super Bowl was and with Ryan Stern for, from Back Sports Page, this portion of the show is brought to you by your good friends over at Avon. Uh, guys, it is that special time of year where you have to take care of your lady friend, your girlfriend, the special person in your life. And what you should do is get, find out what your girl loves and go to youravon.com. And go to Alyssa Rose, our good friend of the show here, and she will take care of you guys for all your needs. Make sure you take care of the special female in your life. That's right. Go to avon.com slash Alyssa Rose right now. Place your orders. Valentine's Day is this upcoming Thursday. That's avon.com slash Alyssa Rose. Go there right now. All right. My good buddy Ryan Stern from BackSportsPage.com. Ryan, we we got entrenched into an hour worth of NBA talk, and we didn't even get to really touch on the NBA trade deadline moves that we were uh, that I wanted to. But it's just when you have three basketball guys like that, it just turned into something else. So I do apologize for keeping you on hold, but uh, welcome, my friend. Let's talk some football. Well, I, I can honestly say this is the first time any of my segments have ever been sponsored by Avon. So uh, I, I'm actually, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know whether to be uh, appalled or impressed. Now, listen, you know, we're, we're moving up in the world. We're, we're really, really, really <laughs> moving up. Uh, we're really moving up in the world. So 
Um, before before we do that, uh, I, I have to ask you very before we jump into the Super Bowl stuff. I, let's get some of the Giants stuff out of the way because that's where you and I have a lot of the focus on majority of the time. Um, Jonathan Stewart and uh, Barwin, uh, Charles, you know, um, Barwin was not, those cuts were not surprising to anybody. Um, it was no. funny that it was like the NFL new season is now open for business. Barwin's gone. <laughs> So I, I think yeah. there was some issues with him in the locker room. I, I knew that he was not the most popular guy in the locker room from being in there. Um, I, I still think that they're going to cut Vernon. I wanted to get your, your take. What do you think? Uh, it, would it surprise me? No. Do I think it's the best solution? No. I, I, I Because I, I do think that even though he is making a ton of money, they're – isn't going to be anyone who has who who can make the potential impact on the field uh, that's going to be available the way that Vernon can. Uh, he's okay. been quite the disappointment over his first two years as a Giant. Uh, it's been an injury-riddled first two seasons as a Giant, so that's why I would not be surprised. But for for a a defense that already has holes in it to already create a, a, another hole going into the draft uh, and free agency doesn't seem like the smartest move. Uh, but I, I guess if you're looking at the fact that this is uh, an NFL draft that is going to be stockpiled with pass rushers, uh, especially at the top of the draft with the Giants having the sixth pick. Uh, if they're looking to go that way, uh, I, I can see it. But uh, I, I don't know if I would do it. Okay. So that, listen, that's fair. It's like I I had Patty Triana on with me uh, last week, and you know, she and I were discussing it flat out. It's You're making a choice. You're, you, you have to make a for, – for the sixth pick – it's it's a solid defensive draft compared to uh, compared to last year. You have to make a decision between your secondary or you know getting a, another pass rusher. So you're either going to cut Jenkins or you're going to keep Vernon. Me honestly, I, I I do Vernon because like you can go get yourself some, a pass rusher or two in this draft and you know and build on that. Uh, Jerry Reese really screwed up this roster. Uh, yeah. For them over the last few years, that, okay. There's no doubt about it. Every we can all agree on. Yeah, Jerry Reese did not help this franchise. Now Dave Gettleman is cleaning up the pieces, and he, and and yeah, he let go of some talented pieces, but but he wanted to get rid of all the Jerry Reese guys. There's only very few left. There's only a couple left at this point in time. So now you're sitting here saying, how do you rebuild this ship a little bit? I don't hate the idea of cutting Vernon. Or Jenkins, or maybe both. But, but if you cut both, then you're, you're basically really starting from scratch on the defensive side. And there's a possibility that Landon Collins may not be back. Uh, they might throw the transition tag on him to see, to see what he gets offered. Um, not that, and, uh, and I don't blame them for not wanting to throw a franchise tag on him at this point because he hasn't played a full season yet anyway. And he's now he's starting to slow down his stuff a little bit too. Last year, yes, he was injured. But even the year before, he was injured again. So I, I just... I'm not on the – I love Landon. As a person, I love Landon. I, I, no, I've had conversations with him. He's one of the guys who I've always enjoyed talking with. But my big thing is 
you, you know, if you're going to spend the money, you have to make sure you're going to get your dollars worth out of it. And I'm not sure if you're going to get that with Landon. Yeah, but are are you going to be sure that you're getting it with anybody who is actually available on the free agent market? The the guys that are going to be there day in day out are locked up by their by their teams. So Not I, I, just don't, I, I just don't see that you're going to get anyone who ha- who can make the major impact. Uh, on the market the way that Landon Collins can impact the game. And, yeah, we, again, it, it's the same thing with Vernon. It, injuries always seem to be an issue. But it, it's not like they're uh, – you, you, you've been around the team. If the Giants were a play – if they were going into the playoffs, is Landon Collins – taking the last couple weeks off? Is Odell Beckham taking the last couple weeks off? No. They were, I, okay. I, I don't believe they were that injured. I think the Giants were protecting their assets, making sure, and I think the reason why they were holding Landon Collins out is to make sure that he would be healthy enough for them to uh, keep in-house next season. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that keeping Landon is the wrong move. I'm just saying I see the side of it if they decided not to. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, you and I have had this argument about Eli Manning. I've argued everybody um, with everybody who's ever brought it up to me. At this point, I do not think Eli Manning is the, replacing him or keeping him. I do not think is the number one priority of this franchise at this moment in time. I think they have other priorities. I think let's all just accept the fact that most likely we are 95 to 99% sure that Eli Manning will be the starting quarterback for the New York football giants for the 2019 season. That is correct. And uh, there are a lot of people I've actually had this conversation with two different people over the last two days. Uh, The New York giants had the opportunity to take, any of the quarterbacks that were in last year's draft, except for Baker Mayfield. And to be honest, most uh, NFL guys will tell you that three or four of the quarterbacks that were in last year's draft had higher grades than any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft. So why would they at number two, not take a quarterback that would have had a higher grade last year to take a, a quarterback with a lower grade this year. Next year, you're, I, I already have four quarterbacks, at least four quarterbacks, that are going to have a higher grade than any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft. Uh, I think you, you have Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama, you have Justin Herbert, who, to be honest, Justin Herbert is the guy that I thought was going to make uh, to uh, the biggest impact for the Giants had he had come out this year. I think if Justin Herbert was in this draft, the Giants would have done anything they could to get him, especially with the fact that the you can make the argument, any of the top five picks, they don't need a quarterback. 
So the the Giants would be sitting in the driver's seat whether or not they would have to move up a couple spots to secure the the pick, but uh, or they think that they can let one fall to them at six. That quarterback isn't in this year's draft. Dwayne Haskins, he, uh, and I, I don't know if you heard the uh, the comments made by the, the the wonderful Stephen A. Smith. Uh, Stephen A. Smith called Dwayne Haskins more of a running quarterback. And I, I don't know about you, but more of a running quarterback to me would probably have more than 108 yards rushing on the season. I mean, Eli can get close to 108 yards rushing on a season. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of that. He's uh, not a rusher. He, he has. He has mobility in the pocket, but and he can get the he can get the ball out quick. He's good on his short to intermediate uh, passing game, but he does not have a powerful arm, and his downfield accuracy is atrocious. Um, and, and with the way that the Giants are built, they're. They they need to to have to open up uh, the downfield. They need to get the eighth man out of the box so that Saquon Barkley can effectively run. And the way that you do that is with a downfield passing game. And Dwayne Haskins just won't bring that to to the team. So uh, to attack Viola. Uh, Justin Herbert, Jake Fromm, KJ Costello are the four quarterbacks that are in next year's draft that I already have higher grades than anybody else in this year's draft. So I just don't see a quarterback being, uh, excuse me, uh, the the way the Giants are going to go. If they decide to cut Vernon, I can see someone like a Rashawn Gary from Michigan. Uh, The guy that I want is, Jonah Williams, the offensive lineman from Alabama. That is, that that's who I think makes the most sense for the Giants. Uh, Jonah Williams started his career at Alabama as a right tackle, was very productive as a right tackle. So with, with having Nate Solder in house, they're going to be able to have Jonah Williams start off on the right side and then eventually take over the left side which Jonah Williams had a lot of success in uh, at Alabama this year. So Jonah Williams seems to, to make the most sense for the Giants at six. I, I happen to agree with you. And you know, the part of it that I also find uh, absolutely amazing is on how the New York football Giants, uh, the other part of it too, and I think I've said this to you before, and so excuse, excuse me if I'm repeating myself, and I've said it on the show before, too. With the Giants, I also don't think you want to take a guy like Odell Beckham Jr., who's in his prime, and you have a young running back like Saquon Barkley, who doesn't have a longest shelf life at that position. You want to have the, the best quarterback possible who's also had the experience of winning there. And I think Eli is that best answer for them. You don't want to have a rookie quarterback or a guy, and, I, and I, excuse me for, for sort of, Kicking on him a little bit, but Teddy Bridgewater always seems to be the popular name, a guy who hasn't right. really won anything. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not picking on him, but it's just and, the and, truth. And T- Teddy Bridgewater has played one half of one football game over the last three years. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so, so what, what, what exactly are you getting with Teddy Bridgewater? You're getting, uh, you're getting, getting a, a guy who, who was mildly successful in, uh, in Minnesota. Mildly successful. He wasn't even uh, – if he was an average quarterback at best. If you put him around the, the number 16, you're probably giving him more credit than he's due. So you're getting someone who had mild success and who someone who hasn't played a full game of football in three years. Uh, so I, I, I just don't see that being the answer either. No, I don't. I don't. I certainly don't. And, uh, and that's okay. You know, like you said, I just, I'm, just a, uh, I'm just a guy who hosts a podcast and, and runs a website. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, right. Let's 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 talk briefly about the Super Bowl, uh, and I also want to uh, jump into hockey a little bit with you too. Um, like I said, because the game audience. was as bad. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> okay, it, it's not that it was a bad football game by any means. It was a very defensive-minded football game. I just think because of where we are, and especially how great the AFC and the NFC Championship games were, with how much scoring there was, I just feel there was a little bit of a letdown because there wasn't as much scoring. But the Rams have a solid defense. The Patriots have a solid defense. So what exactly is the problem with this? Is it just because both teams didn't put 35 points on the board? There's a difference between a good defensive game and a bad offensive game. And there are a lot of people who are saying, and, and like, like you, that it was a good defensive game. Were there? There were definitely strings of good defensive play, but I, you you look and tell me which plays that that were going to work offensively that were stopped by great defense, and I just don't see that many that 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 happened in that game. I saw poor execution by both quarterbacks. I saw an offensive line that was. Dominant for the Rams all year, just not be able to block anybody. And it's not like the Patriots were coming at them with exotic schemes. They were rushing three or four on a consistent basis for the first three and a half quarters. And it was towards the end of the game that we started to see them bring more blitzes because I think that they saw the Rams – we're starting to move the ball. Uh, they had gotten the field goal to cut it to or, – or I, I just didn't see where the, the, the defense was the reason behind the, the lack of offense. Uh, I, I just thought it was poor execution by, by both sides offensively. Uh, Tom Brady was not very good if he wasn't throwing the ball to Julian Edelman. There's a reason Julian Edelman won the MVP, and that's because he was the only player, uh, only offensive player in the entire game that was able to do anything on a consistent basis. Uh, I, I, ju- I don't know what the Rams were expecting. If you look at how 
the, the Patriots were attacking defenses over the first two games in the playoffs, it was Julian Edelman. That, that's yeah. where they were having the, the most success. And you knew that the, that the Patriots weren't going to be able to run the ball with great success on a consistent basis with the, the Sue and Donald factor. Now, neither one of them were great. Uh, they, they didn't make a major impact, but they were able to contain Sony Michelle throughout the majority of the game. Did he have a, a couple that, that he broke? Yeah. But usually it happens with, with the Patriots because everyone's so worried about Tom Brady that they forget about the run game. So um, it, 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 was, it was not my favorite Super Bowl to watch uh, by any means. Uh, it, it was – I just thought it was lack of execution um, – I don't need it to be a high-scoring game for it to, to to be a good game for me. But uh, like great defense would would have would have made it a, a better game. I just didn't see the great defense. Understandable. Now, if I had to say to you, I, and I agree with you, look, I, I'm not going to tell you what happened with me for Super Bowl night. I, I, let me say it this way: it was just to me, it was it was just a difficult game to watch all around, but. If I had to say to you, Ryan, if rank this for the Super Bowl, rank the game, the commercials, the halftime show, and you're, you know, where, how would you rank them? Um, I mean, uh, obviously, I, I haven't of ones that I remember. Uh, the the first Super Bowl that I remember watching was Super Bowl twenty one. So. I, I, I missed the, the first 20. So of the the 33 or so that, that I have any sort of memory regarding, th- this has to be one of the, the bottom two or three at, at, at best. Uh, the, the commercials were atrocious. Uh, the, the only good one that I, I can recall was the the uh, NFL gala one, I, I thought that that was done pretty well. Uh, I I don't see what the what the impact of having the the Turkish air, air the Turkish Airlines commercials was. I think anybody who's watching the Super Bowl that's going to fly Air Turkey was going to do it whether or not uh, it, it was on the, the Super Bowl or not. Uh, it, some some of these just, it, it didn't make sense. Uh, the halftime show, I, to be honest, I, I thought the halftime show was better than a lot of people were giving credit. Uh, what did, did I would, would I have preferred Adam Levine to stay more clothed? Yeah, <laughs> especially <laughs> watching the, watching the game next to my wife, and she's more interested in Adam Levine taking off his uh, clothes than anything else. But uh, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was better. Although I didn't need the special guests, I thought it took away uh, from the, from the rest of the show. But Hey, it it, it, just, it it was not a great night for the NFL. 
<laughs> I think that's the best way of saying it. Um, okay, a couple quick other a quick couple other notes here, real quick. Um, NHL. Let's let's stay with the locals, the Devils and the Rangers, uh, and the Islanders. Let's just say not the best season so far for the locals. Well, the Islanders are. Uh, I know the the past couple games they've uh, they've uh, faded a little bit. They had a, a big win in overtime, a comeback win against the uh, the Avalanche today. Uh, but the Islanders are the only one who uh, even have a chance at sniffing the, the playoffs. Uh, for for a little while there, they were even sitting atop the the Metropolitan Division. Uh, they're they're a real gritty team. They're they play with a lot of pace, play with a lot of uh, aggressiveness, a lot of speed. Uh, their issue is going to be their goaltending. Uh, they picked up Robin Leonard from the Buffalo Sabers in the off season, and when he's on the Islanders have a chance of winning uh, when he's off, it, it tends to be a rough night for them. And I know that that goes for pretty much anybody in, in the NHL goaltending is just, I, I think aside from being a quarterback in the NFL, being a goalie in the NHL has the biggest impact on a game when you're talking about one solo position in a team sport. So, uh, I, I think it, it just needs to be more consistent with Robin Leonard that that he gets uh, the, those good games, and if he does get those good games on a more consistent basis, the Islanders definitely have uh, the, the ability to make some make some noise. Uh, but I, I think right now it's clearly uh, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning's. Uh, cup for the taking. You know, it's funny. I've been to a couple Devils games this year. I've probably been to more Devils games this year than I have my whole entire uh, life. And it just seems like this team compared to last year's team. <laughs> this year's team compared to last year's team seems to be missing something. Don't know what it is. Uh, but yeah, you know, well, it's funny. Uh, they they were missing their uh, their MV, the MVP in the whole NHL last year. Uh, Taylor Hall, they missed him for uh, a period of a good period of time. Uh, that hurt. Uh, they're still so young on on defense. Aside from Andy Green, uh, who, who's the the captain of the Devils, who I, I still don't see as being a number one or number two defenseman on any other team. But he's sort of. Ex- He's expedited into that role with the Devils. Uh, and Sammy Vatnin, who was exiled from Anaheim. And, again, he's usually – so he, he would be a, 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 a four, five, or six defenseman. He's got to play a, as a, a top-line defenseman with them. So they're very young on defense. Uh and their goaltending just has not been good. Corey Schneider is a shell of his former self. Uh, they sent him back. They sent him to the minors on a rehab stint, and he, he allowed six goals 
he played today against the, the Minnesota Wild, where they lost 4-2. Uh, it was he, – he has not been good. Keith Kincaid has taken a step back in that uh, it, it's just been a, a, a major fall-off at, at all points for the, the Devils this year. All right, Ryan, we're against we're against the clock, but I wanted to uh, say thank you for coming on, and as well as got to ask when when are you back on air? Yeah, uh, we'll uh, we'll be coming back on air around the time of the uh, the NFL Combine, uh, which is coming up in about two weeks. Uh, so once the Combine comes up, uh, the Zero Technique podcast uh, will be coming uh, back. We'll be uh, really focused on the NFL draft uh, for a couple months. Uh, I'm already working on some uh, some great guests that we're going to be bringing on. Uh, going to have a lot of information about the draft coming up. So uh, definitely looking forward to getting back on the air. Excellent, man. I'm looking forward to having you back. I appreciate you giving me a few minutes, and uh, we'll talk soon. You got it, Randy. Have a good one. You got it, brother. That was Ryan Stern. His his segment here brought to you by our good friends over at Level 1 Games on Route 23, Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Check out M. Cynthia and Tim and Dave all at Level 1 Games on Pompton Plains, Route 23 South. Uh, also go to level1games.com. They are your all-purpose game store. You can relive your past and take your game to the next level over at level1games.com and at Level 1 Games. Okay. Uh, right now we're getting ready to close up shop. This has been fun. Um, went 90 minutes instead of an hour. Went, I'd like to thank Bill Ingram, Ryan Stern, and Gary Aid. I appreciate it very much. More coming with Off Topic next week. Check us out. Uh, thank you very much to Avon for the sponsorship. Level 1 Games, as always. My name is Randy Zelia. Follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at RandyBSB, BacksportsPage.com for all the archives of Off Topic. Next week, we'll be back. i got a little bit of a mystery guest. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet. Keep following me on social media. You'll be seeing it on Wednesday or Thursday who the guest is going to be. Until then, guys, don't forget to treat your ladies great for Valentine's Day. It's coming up. Don't forget. Uh, treat them like you, they are the number one priority in your life, as they should be. Uh, so you can go to avon.com slash Alyssa Rose to order all your gifts for you, the one that you care about. That's right. Avon.com slash Alyssa Rose. Go there now. Take care of the one you love for Valentine's Day. And uh, sports fans, Keep an eye this week on what's going on in the NBA. This time next weekend, it will be All-Star Weekend, my favorite time of the year. You will have the NBA Slam Dunk Contest, the three-point shootout. Don't miss it. It's all happening then. Until then, we will see you then. Talk to you later.
the big wireless companies sold you an outdated plan tied to long-term contracts and mystery fees. Simple Mobile's different. You get a lightning-fast 4G LTE nationwide network with no contract ever. And keep the phone a number you love. Just text the word BYOP to 611611 to see if your phone is compatible. Simple Mobile. Out with the old, in with the simple. Standard text message and data rates may apply based on your mobile phone service. Please refer always to the privacy policy at simplemobile.com slash privacy policy and the terms and conditions at simplemobile.com slash terms and conditions. At GCU, earning your MBA degree online comes with the college experience. To advance your career in business, it takes support from those around you. Our online class size averages less than 25 students with highly skilled faculty. GCU's Colangelo College of Business offers online MBA programs in real-world emphasis, including accounting, leadership, marketing, sports business, and more. Find your purpose at GCU. Visit gcu.edu slash MBA. Information about graduation rates and median death from students completing the program is available at gcu.edu slash disclosures.